you see that on Twitter sometimes where somebody says, what's your source? And somebody says, the source is trust me, bro. And I feel like that's what this is. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bids Podcast. Oh, a little different than, than normal, but hey, I'm on vacation, so I do what I want. Um, it's great to be here with you, Mr. Sean Gonsalves. How you doing? I am great. I am great. It's good to be here. And I know you have like three different titles, but you're like uh, a communications guy, you're a writer guy, you're a research guy, you're a communi- I think I already said communications guy. I'm the yeah. forgetful guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's one. That's on your. That's on your card. So back in the day, many years ago, we did a a show, a series of shows that we called Crazy Talk, and I feel like this is an episode along those lines where we're primarily going to respond to uh, claims that people make. Uh, often, people who are uh, drawing their paychecks either directly or indirectly from major cable and telephone companies uh, that might sound credible, uh, and, and you know they have a slick website and uh, they have a lot of claims um, but the question is whether or not it's actually rooted in reality or not so uh, I'm excited to have you join us for your first first episode of crazy talk and I think this might be like volume five or six all right I'm honored somehow I feel like I'm well suited for a discussion on crazy talk <laughs> <laughs> so this comes um, um, like linearly for us but not for the listener um, uh, the day after we did the connect this episode with um, uh, folks from Maine Andrew Butcher uh, Peggy uh, Schaefer uh, we're recording this on her last day but by the time people hear it she will have retired um, and Krista Thorpe and Krista Thorpe from the Island Institute. Yes. And um, we uh, talked uh, a bit about uh, what was happening in Maine with this group, the Alliance for Quality Broadband, where they've been really disruptive. But you have heard from others uh, across the nation as well who are hearing some of these complaints and and have questions about claims that that this group has made. Um, so we're going to we're going to talk about that a bit. So Cambridge is one of those communities um, where you've got a, you know, uh, a group of, 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 of citizens who've committed to um, exploring community broadband and are, are pushing for a municipal broadband network in, in, in that city where all the smart people live, Harvard and MIT, the home of Harvard and MIT. Um, and they're tired of the, you know, the monopoly service that, that's there. And, 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 and to say nothing of the fact that there's, even in a community like Cambridge, there's a number of folks who uh, or on the wrong side of the digital divide. So recently, the the city has moved forward with a um, getting serious about a feasibility study. Which you know, wait a minute. I just want to pause to give Travis a second to catch his breath because he's going to be laughing at the idea of getting serious about a feasibility study when he hears right. This. Well, getting getting. I should say that I should have said that the city now seems to be, which included a town manager or a city manager who had been kind of dragging his feet on this. He's about to retire and is now on board with really moving forward and studying this in a serious way and not just, you know, to check a box. Let's pause there for a second, because that's right. And one of the things we saw was the city council was pretty united that Cambridge is a wealthy city. A lot of folks have pretty decent access from Comcast. A fair number of them would like something better. They'd like something more affordable. But they also have low-income folks that are poorly served. And and they had been trying to address this. And I felt like the city manager was just stuck with this idea of like, oh, well, like I don't want to build a massive broadband network. 
And and like this be clear, some of the folks in the community would like to see a, a municipal fiber network that touches everyone. My answer was always then don't build a giant freaking network. If you're nervous about it, build something targeted to solve a specific problem. You have the money in Cambridge. You you you, you could do it. And and I just I'm I'm really frustrated where we get caught in this like go big or go home because that is not the way to approach municipal broadband, I think. You know, some places can go big. Uh you know, we got Knoxville going big, Fort Collins you know, is going big right now. Uh, they're, they're doing well, it seems. Um, but like a lot of places, it makes more sense to start off, um, you know, especially places without a municipal electric department. Just chill, do something targeted and focused and, and learn. Well, and, 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 and also my understanding as well is that Cambridge has um, a very hefty uh, cash reserve um, that could probably, that could more than build a citywide fiber network. And, and still have money left over. Yeah, if people want to do that, which, you know, city council seems like they want to at least explore that, then that should be an option. Um, but I, I, I'll just say that, like, I, I feel like I would love to see Cambridge do something that, that meets its needs. Um, but I just want to be be clear that I feel like do do something that works, you know? Don't just, don't just dream big for the sake of dreaming big. It's a good point. You know, when I think about this, like what's going on in Maine and Cambridge and, and for sure all over the country um, in communities... Um, that are contemplating uh, building a municipal fiber network or or a uh, municipal broadband network of any kind. I, I keep thinking about how rarely, if ever, are there debates about like the financial risk of building roads or schools or water systems, all of which are far more expensive capital projects that that cities and communities build. So, and it's rare it, it's rare to hear someone talk about like the finan- financial boondoggles or leaving the taxpayers on the on the hook for those kind of projects, except maybe for the big dig. But even when you're talking about the big dig and the cost overruns, no one uses the big dig as 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 an argument for why w- there should never be highway road projects ever right, again. Right, get the government um, out or, of roads. Yeah, get go, get the government out of roads. And so, so for me, the question is, why do we have these debates when it comes to building broadband infrastructure? Well, let's answer that by looking at the sponsors of the Alliance for Quality Broadband. Uh, they have the logos up on their website, which is uh, qualitybroadband.org. I highly recommend that none of our listeners go there because it's <laughs> it's full of misinformation. But you know, you got you got Charter Spectrum there is pretty prominent, and then if you know you know where to look, you see oh the John Locke Foundation, which has long been controlled by uh, like Charter and AT and T, um, or at least like clearly in their pocket. And as you look at these logos. Goes, um, all of these entities. Um, you've got the Taxpayer Protection Alliance, you know, which is a group that has never, ever had a problem with taxpayers dropping billions of dollars on AT&T or Charter Spectrum. You know, you don't see them out there talking about like how Charter is like wasting government dollars with the Ardoff auction, right? right? Like, no, they're talking about how like, oh, like, you know, if you're using a local government to like provide needed investment in a community for broadband, that is wasteful and duplicative and taxpayers shouldn't be involved with it. You know, if Charter is going to double your prices over a period of four or five years, that's pretty cool because it's the private sector doing it and that's magic. So, right, right. right. I mean, like, you know, the answer to their question is, you know, some of these groups are against public schools. Some of these groups are against public roads. Like these that's are pretty true. fringe groups. <laughs> that, that That's true. And, there, and there's always going to be, you know, sort of a core, sort of like hardcore mm-hmm. economic libertarians who, you know, make the case that, you know, the government shouldn't be in any involved in any of this stuff. Everything should be privatized. Um, but, you know, you said something really good, I think, during the Connect This show yesterday, which was you called it campaign to keep monopolies that we don't love. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
you know, we say, uh, you know, anti-municipal broadband campaigns, but really these are campaigns to keep monopolies. Save our monopolies. Up. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Campaign to save our monopolies. Um, yeah. No. And, and I, and I didn't say this earlier, but for people who aren't familiar, connect this show.com uh, is where they could find uh, past episodes. Uh, they're on YouTube and things like that. You can also find like, usually we rip the audio down and put that up in a, in a feed on a podcast catcher. Um, one of our guests actually listens to that while he runs. Uh, but you know, I think the video is where you get to see our funny expressions and uh, stuff like that. So it, it it was actually it was a great conversation. It seems that this you know campaign to protect monopolies that we don't love rely on people not knowing just how many municipal broadband networks exist, right? Because they keep you know, which is why they like they trot out the same sort of like three examples every time these campaigns pop up, right? It's like that campaign really relies on people not knowing a lot of stuff that folks like us that you know that follow this stuff take for granted sometimes. All right, let's let's dive into this for a second, right? Like so. Um, the Alliance for Quality Broadband has a database of what they call GON failures. GON is a acronym, uh, G-O-N, which is only used by the uh, cable and telephone industry folks to describe government-owned networks. And that's because they want to deliberately lump in uh, municipal and local community networks with uh, ideas about state and national networks. And it also, from a Machiavellian standpoint of view, it's smart to call it, to call it government-owned networks because there's, you know, in, Amer- in the American mind, there's sort of this built-in advantage where, you know, it's like, you know, private sector is better than, than, than the public sector. They do things better they 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 build things better they do it quicker they do it cheaper and all and all of that so so it's pretty smart to use that i guess you know if you're going to campaign against community networks to use to, to use the term government owned network yeah i mean it, it, people say that and i feel like you know there's always that question then of like who are you talking about here because like there's different kinds of governments and there's different kinds of companies and i'll tell you that like you know we went through a multi-month process that we documented um the inability of CenturyLink to send us uh, a brick to plug in a phone uh over a period of multiple months and many customer interactions right like <laughs> <laughs> a level of incompetence that that is truly astounding. Um, you know, a local business is not going to have that problem, right? <laughs> and so, like lumping these things together, we need to be we need to be careful about that. Uh, whether That's we're right. talking about the government side or the the private sector side. Well, and and the other thing too about these government that the whole sort of government owned network rubric and, and framework and in this in this in this completely lumping everything together is public private partnerships get thrown under the bus as well when you. Mm-hmm. In, in, in the space. Right. So, so one of the things that I'll say is that I'm not in favor of the United States government owning a broadband network. I'm not even, I think there's an argument you can make that it's constitutional. Um, but the, the federal government does have limited rights and, uh, I don't think that the federal government should build and operate a network. Um, you know, I'm nervous about states, um, getting too involved with actually connecting residents and businesses. And some of the people who largely agree with us, they might disagree with me on that. Um, but I'll say that like, when you look around the world at the history of government owned, um, when I say government, I mean federal, national, government owned telecom networks that were monopolies. You know, it's not super pretty. Uh, I don't think it's as bad as privately owned one monopolies, but like publicly owned monopolies at the national level are not a good idea. At the local level, uh, they're not my favorite. Like, I mean, I've been pretty candid about this. And again, like, I think people, you know, you might even disagree with me on that to some level, but like, I would like to see infrastructure level competition uh, at the local level, even if we have a publicly owned network, I think it's better for everyone. I suppose if I had a magic wand and I could build an open access fiber networks 
across the country that passes every premise in the country that then allow for private internet service providers to use to use those networks I, that would be tempting yeah and i wouldn't say that that would be a bad thing to do necessarily i mean i, I think that i would do it in a way that would have more local accountability than if you know you had the the fcc do it for instance it would not be my first choice um <laughs> but but I also would make sure that you know, we weren't outlawing the ability of others to build wireless or, or fiber optic networks next to those. You know, when they say government owned networks, they're doing that for a reason and it's not entirely wrong. Um, but that's why we talk about local community owned networks. We believe in accountability. Quality broadband folks, the um, Alliance for Quality Broadband, which is Charter, Charter Spectrum, uh, just to be clear, like they've got a bunch of allies and stuff. You know, it's amazing because like if we had a billion dollars, Sean, like we could help create a bunch of different organizations and then pay those organizations to help a third organization that we created that would do a bunch of mean things. And then we'd be like, oh, no, we don't do those mean things. Like it's these other independent organizations that we bankroll that happen to be doing that thing. But we can't tell them what to do, even though we're telling them what to do. That's how this all works behind the scenes as best I can tell. Yeah. Well, I, I did buy my mega millions ticket. So we, who knows? Maybe in the next day or two, we'll have a billion. We'll have to talk about whether we want to do that, that, admit, that, that payout right away or the, yeah, the, yeah. You know, the check every month. <laughs> Um, so anyway, they have a database here um, about their gone failures. And I wanted to address that particularly because I feel like people are deeply worried about this. Um, there's two things we, we can go about this, I think. One is I, we'll talk about some of these states here. I'll just click on some of the different states and we'll talk about some of the networks. But Sean, um, one of the other things that we've been doing to, to prelude some research that you're working on is collecting the the um the the credit of of municipal governments yeah the bond ratings of these local governments that have built networks and i know you're not done with it yet but you've done enough to do to have a cross section uh is what you're seeing like just that like cities financial risk or ratings are cratering as soon as they go out and build a network no i mean absolutely not and so what there's what about 70 cities that have built uh, municipal networks. I yeah, about, about 70 fiber to the home networks that are citywide um, where like uh, of networks and those networks serve on the order of 180 communities, I think. Right. And I'm probably, I don't know, 18, 20 deep and not one of them so far. And I've, I've been kind of doing it from the Northeast coast across. And so I'm, I'm although I, I, I did take a look at three cities in Colorado, Longmont, Fort Collins and Loveland. But I have yet to find one whose rating with either Fitch or Moody's is, and they both have slightly different w ways mm -hmm. of, of, of doing bond ratings in terms of what they call like the triple A, you know, the AA plus or AA or lowercase A3, A lowercase A2. Those are Moody. Um, right. They have like divisions and then they have subdivisions. But like the point is none of these are anywhere close to junk status. But, 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 but the point is, is that all of the ones that I've looked at so far are in that A category, meaning, you know, in the upper tier of bond ratings in all of these cities that, that have, uh, finance the building of fiber networks in those cities. So even th that sort of uh, glimpse so far indicates and undermines the, you know, this idea that these projects bring cities to financial ruin and, and jeopardize municipalities' financial positions and ability to to borrow money to to do pr capital projects in, in, in their communities. Yeah. And I think the kind of arc we saw in Chattanooga is not super rare, where 
when the utility moved forward with the fiber network. They took out, you know, a few hundred million dollars of debt in order to do that. And they had a slight decrease in their bond rating, uh, small enough that it probably wouldn't have really even changed their borrowing costs. Um, and the rating agency said that they were taking on a new project that they hadn't, hadn't yet demonstrated competence in and, uh, and that there was some reason for investors to be cautious, um, which I think is, is totally reasonable. And at the time, the person who run that, uh, Harold DePriest, and uh, by the way, I did a really long interview with Harold DePriest about Chattanooga. And I feel like a lot of people that think they know Chattanooga should listen to that interview back in then. It's probably seven years old now. Um, but, uh, but we went in depth on a bunch of this stuff. And he was like, yeah, like we were doing something that was different. You know, we were going outside our core competency. We thought the wor- the risk was worth the reward. And then after a few years, when they showed how positive it was, they actually had an increase to their, their um, rating because the uh, bond rating folks looked at Chattanooga and said, because of the strength of this fiber network, you actually have a stronger community. You have more economic development. And so it actually increased the ability of Chattanooga to borrow because it was viewed as having a strong local economy with a stronger property base, which is what a bond rating is ultimately um, based on. Right. And, and you know, and Chattanooga was, was, was one of the early ones. And Kind of. I think of it as a middle one. I always chafe at that, the early ones. That, yeah. That's true. But point, point, point taken. I guess my- <laughs> Early my for point, you. Point Some point of us is, are old, man. <laughs> right, right, right. I guess my point is, is that there's, there's now more of a history of of, of a multitude of cities now. So it's, it's, it's not quite the case anymore to your point earlier that, you know, this is, this is something that you don't have a core competency. in. of course, if in a particular city who, who hasn't had one prior, it's, it's a new area, but I'm saying broadly speaking, you know, municipal broadband networks are no longer new. Mm-hmm. Um, or it's not, no longer a new concept. In fact, yeah. as we move forward in history, the, the anti-muni folks are going to have to, you know, and I'm sure they will alter their arguments somewhat because um, and, and become a little bit more sophisticated. Once it becomes much more apparent to folks that, that there's actually a multitude of existing networks and have done something similar, th- that arc that you were talking about with Chattanooga in terms of the return on investment and, 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 and so forth. Yeah. So one of the places people can go to learn more about this is um, on muninetworks.org. We have a, on the left menu, uh, you can uh, find a page correcting community fallacies or co- correcting community fiber fallacies or community broadband fallacies. If you put some variant of that into a search engine, you should be able to find it. We try to keep our names unique enough that they're easy to, to search. Uh, and you'll find a number of responses to this, including re- a, a response to ridiculous claims that I think this database draws upon from the uh, Taxpayer Protection Alliance, which is just, I mean, it's bad work. I mean, I, I feel like the, the the folks that are really anti-government should um, should have higher standards for who they give their money to, to promote their lies, because it's embarrassingly bad. And they should be, you could do better work lying. Um, you know, I guess I shouldn't say that because I like that they're, they're this lazy. But if you click on this map, um, you've got 21 states on the Alliance for Quality Broadband database um, that uh, supposedly have failures. And so the first one I'm always curious about is California, right? So California, at 2007, San Francisco contemplated a municipal Wi-Fi approach. Um, uh, A, uh, they didn't do it. Um, And so, like, it's viewed as a failure, although... 
you know, I, I don't think they actually did it. I mean, I remember they had debates about it and this and that, and I think it actually kind of fizzled. It was actually, at that time, Mayor Newsom who was involved with it. And frankly, we're on the other side of Mayor Newsom because he wanted to have Google running it, and we thought it was a, a bad idea. This is a little predates me at ILSR. Um, but they didn't do it. Now, what's interesting is that over the years, they did actually roll out free Wi-Fi in a number of places in San Francisco, but these folks don't even know about that, right? And so... Mm-hmm. But there's there's one thing to draw. First of all, a lot of these claims of failure are municipal Wi-Fi systems. And uh, we've talked about this in the past, including, um, I think, good discussions with Jim Baller uh, way back in the archives of, of the Community Broadband Bits, which we have a single page with an archive of all of the episodes that you can check out um, on muninetworks.org for people that want to go back and find these specific episodes. But municipal Wi-Fi was its own thing. Like there was this excitement in the mid-aughts that Wi-Fi was going to provide the third pipe. And uh, the technology wasn't there yet. And so local governments that tried to do it often failed. Uh, Many times they chose not to do it before they got into it. Some that invested in it failed. But so did the private sector. Like everyone that tried municipal Wi-Fi, public, private, public-private partnership, like they didn't all fail, but like most of them did because the technology wasn't ready for prime time to deliver a high-quality signal inside the home that could ultimately deliver Netflix streaming, uh, you know, at a reasonable price. So. Mm-hmm. So when you see these claims about Wi-Fi failures, just it's, 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 it's apples and oranges, right? Like the wired business models are different from the, uh, the business models of the, the wireless folks. I also am looking at it and it's the way they have it set up, location, year, type of, type of gone. Yeah. <laughs> Municipal Wi-Fi, total cost, not available, just, status, failed. Like there's, there's no context. There's no, there's no nothing. It's just the, you know, yep, this failed. You see that on Twitter sometimes where somebody says, what's your source? And somebody says, the source is trust me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel like that's, that's what this is. The source is, doesn't that feel right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you click on Florida then, right? Like uh, this is, this is one that has an interesting mix. You've got some of those municipal Wi-Fi that are bogus. Um, middle mile. You, you've got, you've got middle mile. And like, this is another thing that they'll often do is be like, well, this middle mile network failed. Well, okay. Like, let's be clear. Some of these middle mile networks um, actually succeeded um, on different terms. Like they had different goals. And this is an important consideration for all failures of public sector. For some of them, you know, if you build a network and, and I was just the example of Wyndham um, in Minnesota for this. If you build a network and then you end up coming tens of thousands of dollars short of breaking even financially when your business plan said you were supposed to, but along the way, you helped a local employer um, you know, stay in town who is going to leave town, in this case, fortune trucking, going to leave town, take tens of jobs away. You go to any local leader in any town across America and you say, if I paid you $30,000, would you, you know, get rid of 12 private sector jobs in your community? No one's going to take that deal, right? Like, and so, like, is Wyndham a failure? No. Like, they did what they had to do to, like, make sure the community did well. And this is complicated, right? Now, if it was $3 million to save 12 jobs, eh, probably not a good deal, right? (laughs) But that's not the scale we're talking about in most of these. Right. And in fact, you know, that that's something that we hear time and time again as we're covering, you know, various communities that get serious about building their own municipal networks. I mean, Fairlawn's a great example, but there's, I mean, there's tons of other communities where it literally was, it was folks in the business community coming to city leaders saying, listen, we're moving because the internet here sucks. Mm-hmm. Right. That is sometimes a huge spur for cities or communities 
it, to get into this um, is, 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 is that very fear that you're going to you're going to hamper economic development or, or even worse, you know, go backwards. So so let me let me say that they got one right in Florida. Donellen. Donellen is my nightmare scenario. Candidly, like Donellen is a smaller town and they were like, hey, guys, this isn't so hard. Let's just do it. We don't need to hire a consultant. We'll just take this other feasibility study and and their engineering and we'll make some assumptions that we'll have a certain number of customers at the end of the first year and and we'll do it. And and they started doing it and they didn't get any real expert advice. They did not take it seriously. They didn't do their homework and it was bad. Like they they lost money on it. And uh, it was a really bad investment. So, like, you know, we're not out here being like they're wrong about everything. Like, Donellan is my nightmare of a community that didn't take it seriously. But, but also, with any kind of public works projects of, of any sort, you know, we are flawed human beings. I mean, it, there's going to be failures. I mean, right. that's all the more reason why, why, you know, careful planning, et cetera, is an oversight and accountability is important. Transparency, totally, which goes along with those things you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and this is what happened in Burlington, right? Their example for Vermont. Um, you know, Burlington was doing all right. Uh, they had, and this is my view of things. Some people disagree. I did some serious research into it, talked to a lot of folks, tried to really understand what happened up there. Uh, they had a network that was doing well. They had a new administration that came in, decided to run it in a political manner, ran out the guy who built it. That guy went on to build EC Fiber, which is one of the most improbable success stories. That's a network in, in Vermont, which has changed the entire state's approach. I mean, it's on the, it's on the, the central part of Vermont. It's East Central, which is super convenient for being called EC Fiber. Um, but at any rate, like Tim knew what he was doing. And and then like these guys come into Burlington and they're like, cool, we're just gonna we're gonna change everything around because we don't like Tim. And uh and they, they didn't do the right marketing and they stopped growing and then they started hiding the losses when that happened and they hit up for years while they compounded and and the network ended up having to be privatized and the city took some kind of loss, although many of us actually think they kind of cooked the books and, and actually and, and claimed that they spent millions of dollars in Burlington Telecom, but they actually spent it in other parts of the city, um, you know, in order to, like, uh, make the city look stronger, um, you know, in and there was investigations and I read the audits and I'll tell you that those audits suggested them. that was my learning experience that, that you can find auditors who have no idea what they're doing, right? Like, <laughs> like, like audits should probably have experienced the telecom business model before they start auditing one. Like, you know, like, and, and the audit that I saw in, in, in Burlington did not give me any faith um, in it. So, so anyway, there was a number of things that went wrong, but in Burlington, like it was a lack of transparency that really doomed it, I think, and didn't allow them to fix fixable errors. Every network's going to struggle. Uh, you're going to have errors. And the question is how you adapt, not whether or not you hide the fact that these things are hard to run. Uh, so, um, so I think that's important. Um, but like, you know, another one they have here in Pennsylvania, they talk about Philadelphia, this, um, this uh, Philadelphia was going to do a municipal Wi-Fi network and then decided that they would have a private company do it. That private company fails. And then everyone's like, well, Philadelphia is dumb. You know, Philadelphia can't do Wi-Fi. And it's like, Philadelphia didn't, didn't really try to do Wi-Fi. They had a private company do it. And now it's used, it's viewed over and over again as being a, a public failure, which is, I, I mean, it just kills me that you have like the situation where like, you literally have people being like, don't have the government do it. I'm like, all right, we won't have the government do it. And then the private company fails and people are like, why did the government screw that up so much? Right, 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 right. <laughs> and yeah. these are often the same people who are like, who are like, you know, we need a smaller federal government. And why hasn't Biden fixed these 10 markets yet? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like okay, well, 
So in Philadelphia, you also have Pitcairn, which I looked into because it's not on our list, and uh, and I wasn't that familiar with it. And Pitcairn was like an ancient cable system that was like i mean they literally were like in the 50s of like or even maybe even before 1950 like doing cable television because no one else would do it in a town that very few people have heard of and the idea that it's a failure because it never made money you know i don't think they ran it for decades expecting it to make money i think they wanted to have cable services and ultimately some slow broadband and and that's where, like, this idea that, like, oh, they should have had nothing. You know, like, they, they would have been better off having nothing rather than subsidizing a cable system. Well, that's their right. decision. Like, that's what they get to make up their mind about. And, and something that you just said, this, this, this notion of it making money. Do we expect other infrastructure in our cities to make money? No, cities, Road, I mean, schools? the streets lose so much money. Oh, man, schools, terrible, terrible business proposition. The police force, I mean, utter utter loss of money fire department you know like like you don't charge people to put out fire i mean they kind of do like we all pay the taxes and whatnot but you you, you get the point like yeah like the library freaking gives books away for free like i could fix that i could help the library make some money you know like just start charging people no big deal (laughs) so and i I mean at the same time i will say these networks generate enough revenue they can pay for themselves or they can pay mostly for themselves and i think that's good you know if if we can save money and put more money into the library i hope and uh and in essential city services and in certain instances these networks generate extra revenue yeah right not always um although often and the reason that people build them though is for those indirect benefits of making sure that like every child that goes home from the school district should be able to have internet access to do their homework and to get ahead um so yeah yeah it's interesting because like this is the thing that kills me about some of these places like if you look if you check on tennessee right they actually list like several networks um as ongoing but like they list six networks out of like maybe 12 or 13 and like like Memphis, for instance, is one that that was a middle mile kind of approach that failed more than 20 years ago. Uh, I think that's cor- a correct labeling of it. But like, right there, I see, I see they have Morristown on, on, on as ongoing, in, right? It's not a failure, but like as ongoing, right? And, they don't have and, Bristol. And they, they don't have Chattanooga. Like, what, what are they doing? They, they also failed to mention about Morristown that Morristown's uh, credit rating with movies is AA3. Right. Yeah, they, they did forget to mention that. <laughs> And this is this is the thing that that when I look at this and you look at this, we're like, well, this is incredible. These people don't even know what they're doing, right? And that's what I say when I see Chris Yu's study comes up from the University of Pennsylvania. This is a guy who has no credibility among anyone that pays attention to this stuff, right? Oh, like, and this stuff is easy to find. I mean, you you oh, it, Google it's, about this stuff, and yeah. it's like all over the place. Yeah, I mean, you if, know, if Charter and AT and T gave me millions of dollars, I'm sure I could promote my stuff too. Or I mean, they're not giving it to Chris necessarily. I think he gets more. His center, I'm sure, gets money from Philadelphia. From comcast in philadelphia one way or another uh but uh, but like there's a whole campaign to promote his work which like he doesn't even know what a municipal fiber network system is like he did a study of 20 of them and it turned out several of them weren't municipal citywide fiber networks like he thought they were and then on top of it he got the bond structure wrong for three of them just totally and we called him on it within days he issued a press release saying yep yep you know what you're right i got it wrong and um and uh and this one little you know this one little thing doesn't change our analysis of of everything else but like if you download that paper from the university of pennsylvania right now he never fixed it Right. Like at least when I checked like last check six months ago still, which is like five years after he published it. When we do when we get something wrong, Sean, you've seen this. I get like I don't get angry with the person that did it, but like like I sweat 
I get frustrated. We go out, we mm-hmm. fix it. We we once had a minor error in a story. I mean, I, was, I shouldn't say minor, but a reporter put it at the top of of her story when she ran it, and in her title. And I called her and I profusely apologized. And I was like, look, we're fixing this. We're making sure it's not going to happen again. Right. This is a guy who's an academic at the University of Pennsylvania. He makes major mistakes and he doesn't bother fixing them. They're still in the report. Like what kind of academic integrity is that? Like it's, yeah. it's, it's awful. And that's that's what we see here. Like there's opposition that is hard to take seriously because they don't take themselves seriously. They're doing this for a paycheck and they don't take it seriously. You know, I, I'm also looking over here at Colorado and I noticed when you go to Colorado, it just says statewide middle mile. <laughs> so that's Eagle Net. They're talking about Eagle Net there, which was a which was a legitimate it was a legitimate failure, although uh, not. A, I mean, it was a it was a state government in some ways. It was not a good project. But like, yeah, like, I mean, they don't they don't know what they're talking about. I know what they're talking about, but they don't even know. They but they and they also conveniently overlook Fort Collins, Longmont, Loveland. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cortez. I mean, lots of them. I mean, that's why we track hundreds of these things and they're like, Oh no, like we found, we found like 50 networks, like on a list somewhere and we're going to categorize them based on like some intern, you know, spent three minutes Googling to figure out if they're a failure or not. I mean, they say, they say utopia is a failure. Utopia, which has borrowed money for 10 years without any backing. you like, like in private investors are throwing money at utopia here, take my money, build broadband. I trust you. Like we're, we're going to get the money back. Right. Like utopia had some struggles, but if people are throwing money at you, it's often a sign that you've worked those out. Right. And I just, you know, this Colorado one is just sort of a prime example. And, and it goes back to what I was saying earlier is that for people that don't, that, that don't have a sense of, you know, the, you know, the vast number of, of successful networks, you know, you look at something like this in Colorado and you might, Think, well, there, there was one, quote unquote, government owned network project in all of Colorado and it failed. Right. And, and I don't mean that to, to demean people. I mean, people are, you know, nobody, no, nobody's born knowing these things and people are, you know, trying to keep up with a million different things. But but certainly this whole argument really is, is, is a uh, is a classic example of cherry picking and <laughs> relying on people not knowing any any counter examples whatsoever. Yeah, that's what we see. And I think the danger is when local governments, uh, you know, get scared off by this, it's it's horrifying because they should be doing more research into this. And and I, and I guess, you know, I've served on some subcommittees for local governments and people are stretched thin. They're doing different things. So, you know, people who are listening to this show, um, I, I think part of your job is to is to figure out how to make it easier for local governments to understand this, right? Like package up some of the materials we've put together or some of the honest academics have put together and, uh, and try to make that available to your local leaders uh, because they are hearing from like, you know, the Charter Spectrum, the Comcast, the AT&T lobbyists uh, that these are all failures and they're getting slick materials that look right and have the imprimatur of the University of Pennsylvania uh, on them. Um, you know, uh, I have to say that in 15 years, I have really gone from um, holding the Ivy Leagues in a bit of awe to just um, really being kind of sick when I when I hear about the amount of corruption that is in some of the departments across Ivy League schools. Um, mm-hmm. You know, whether mm-hmm. it's like, uh, you know, on, on health issues, on economics, on a number of things. There's a number of these people that have side hustles that they're just cashing mm-hmm. in on the fact they're connected with a school that has a hundred that has hundreds of years of, of, of academic history that that gives it a good name. And and it's sick. And I wish the schools would do something about it. But like, um, yeah, I guess, like I said before, though, this isn't new and we have to deal with it. 
That's right. And all this speaks to whether you're talking about Maine or Massachusetts or, or, or communities where we're seeing these kind of uh, campaigns to protect the monopolies we don't love is these companies, these monopoly, these monopoly incumbents, they have deep pockets and, and, and resources to spend on these campaigns and make these beautiful, appealing websites and you know that look really sophisticated and 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 smart and and slick and 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 clear, um, and a lot of local communities, you know, first of all, even states don't have those kind of resources, and in some instances, don't even really think about it until you know the campaign is upon them, and by then, you know, sometimes it's a bit too late. But but it's certainly you know communities that are organizing, you know, have to spend um, a considerable amount of time thinking about and preparing for these kind of campaigns, um, and. In, in, in having a really robust public edu- education campaign. Yeah, I mean, when you say that they have big profits, I mean, their profits, like AT&T's profits are $26.8 billion, I think, last year. Um, that might have even just been in the fourth quarter. Um, I don't know if that was – no, it's full year. Full year, you know, 26 – it's such an amount – like, I, I can't even imagine what that is, right? I mean, to give you a sense, like – like all of the money that like big cities pay for like all of their police, their health and everything else, like not all big cities, but like a lot of like good sized cities are less than that. Right. Like, right. <laughs> like every last dollar. I mean, I, it's hard to even explain what $26.8 billion of profits is, you know, for them, yeah. for them to put, um, you know, uh, tens of millions of dollars into campaigns to discredit our work and, and, and fund academics that are going to do deeply flawed studies to, to, um, justify their monopoly is is smart. I mean, like if anything, they're probably negligent for not putting more into the propaganda. <laughs> don't give them any ideas. No, I was just I set it that out. You know, <laughs> like, I don't know. Um, it's I think it's important to note though. I mean, like you know, they they have money to spend on this. Let's assume that they're stuck with this because they cannot find good, hardworking people that actually want to do their work. They just end up paying grifters who do the bare minimum and mm-hmm. uh, and put up crap. And unfortunately, it still sways people. Yeah. Uh, Sean, thank you so much for, for coming on and, and working through this with me. Um, you know, I think neither one of us uh, swore and uh, and we're not angry. So, I mean, I guess right. we're not shouting is what I'm saying. We're both, we're both yeah. pretty angry. Right. We're joined as furious optimists. The furious optimists. There it is. Thanks, Sean. It's been great talking to you. Thank you. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ilsr.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.